Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, welcome to another incredible edition of the Clip Set Podcast. Uh, we have a very special guest here with us this week. Um, you may know him as the person William Updike voted aggressively as the most handsome Clippers coverer on the Clippers beat. Andrew Greif of the LA Times. Welcome to the show, buddy. Thank you. Uh, I can't. I can't c- confirm that that kind of <laughs> praise. Um, frankly, it makes me uncomfortable. But I, I'm really glad to be here. And um, and yeah. And first of all, thank you for nailing my last name. Thank you. Um, yeah. I was recently talking to some people in the league and like, I've talked to them now for a couple years and I realized they still don't know my last name. So, <laughs> um, so thank you for getting it right. Well, you're welcome. Um, and if you're not going to confirm it, we will. He is the most handsome Clipper coverer out there. Um, and we're very excited to have you on. So, uh, the Clippers <laughs> have had, <laughs> I hope that made you just as uncomfortable as Will trying to fight the three of us um, on that podcast when we were talking about it. Um, so the Clippers went on a really grueling road trip. Uh, the last time we recorded was in the middle of that. It featured two sets of three games in four nights. Uh, it featured Kawhi Leonard and Paul George being in the health and safety protocols. Um, it featured a couple of losses, which are a little bit new to us this season. Um, so let's start with the positives, even though there are probably going to be some negatives that we get into this week. Um, Andrew, what would you say is the, is the biggest positive takeaway, um, that you have had since last Sunday? So since the next game on, um, my biggest takeaway is that those two losses required sort of extraordinary circumstances, um, or at least factors to happen. In my opinion, I think that you look at the Harden, KD, Kyrie trio against Brooklyn, they went for 90 Brooklyn shot 57%. Um, I, you know, that was just, that's like the peak version that we all kind of want to see from Brooklyn, like as just like basketball consumers who are like, what, what, you know, I think that there is like a train wreck version of the Nets that people are like waiting for. But if we're really true with ourselves, we kind of want to see all those guys cooking at once. Right. And it, it happened uh, really, I would say, like the first time to that level against, it happened to happen against the Clippers. Um, so I think that I left that game being like, the Clippers really didn't play well, like late, late in that game. Right. And yet they still had a chance, even though they had that 13 0 run go against them. It took those three to have really incredible nights to kind of dislodge them from that win. And then with the, with the Boston game, I was thinking about this last night, you know, there was, this has been the best net rating team in the third quarter all year. Their net rating in the third quarter this year, the Clippers going to last night was plus 18. Mm-hmm. Only one other team in the league was better than plus seven. So, I mean, like, it's just, a, it's like a giant jump. It's like the Clippers, right. Utah plus 15, and then everybody else. So they weren't just winning third quarters. They were doing so at an absurd rate and they got smothered 38, 20 by the Celtics. So that, that typically doesn't happen. Right. Right. And then they, um, you know, turnovers have been ramping up. They've been really good at the start of the trip. That's kind of gone away. Cleveland got 16. They had 16 or 18 last night. And, um, those points off turnovers were again, kind of like a spike out of nowhere. They had allowed 26 points of turnovers against Celtics they hadn't allowed more than 20 since January 8th. So to have, sorry for my neighbor going down the street like that, um, <laughs> to have those two things go wrong in the same game 
Yeah. Um, to me was like, okay, again, they almost had a chance to win. I think if that best Batum steal doesn't get bobbled at midcourt with 30 seconds left, uh, you know, I th- maybe they win. So right. the wins, those would have been two really nice wins. The fact that they were so close, even though they played um, pretty clumsily against Boston in the second half and, you know, had to take on like the unholy trio of scores. I, I thought, okay, that's, you can, you can live with those losses. I think. Okay. I, I think I agree with you. I think you have talked Clipper nation collectively off the ledge with that. Um, so Brian, what would you say your most positive takeaway has been for this last week? It was ending that road trip with a win in Cleveland. Like that was such a scheduled loss game. It was the second night of a back-to-back. It was what the third night in four games, right? And, and they were third game in four nights, other way around, buddy. It's okay. What, oh yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. Let me step away from the mirror for a second. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and yeah, I mean, we, we've talked about this a couple times and it's still, you mentioned it the other day, Joseph on Twitter, and it's still hilarious to me that for what, three years, the conversation has been load management, Kawhi, he just rests. This is ridiculous. You know, he's not mentally like tough. There's no fortitude there, blah, 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 blah. He's playing back. This is his second time playing in a back-to-back this season and it is fucking crickets out there about it. Um, and so, and and even Ty said, uh, I think it was before the Cleveland game about the decision to play Kawhi. And he was like, that was Kawhi's decision. Kawhi said, I want to play these games. And so, um, you know, that it's definitely the healthiest we've seen him on the Clippers, probably the healthiest we've seen him since the injury in San Antonio. Um, and aside from, the second half. So I'll, I'll, since we're keeping this positive, I'm going to take this just up to halftime in the in the Boston game. Dude, he's so fast this year. And that game yeah. specifically, it felt like he was just sprinting the entire time. Um, and one of the things that Joseph and I have been kind of screaming for is picking up the pace. We want this team to move faster. They kind of move it at a, at a snail's pace. They're not the youngest team. Um, and it seemed like he really kind of put a little focus on that in the Boston game. And if that's something to come and, you know, I would say in the second half, he maybe lost his legs a bit as a result of all that running. Um, And there was a lot of like, you know, hitting, hitting the front of the iron in the second half. But if this is something that they're ramping up and working on, and he specifically is trying to get quicker off the dribble, um, that's super exciting. And, and, and I think that there's another level to Kawhi that we haven't seen yet this year. And Mm -hmm. we saw a couple flashes of it this last week. Yeah. Um, I totally agree with that. And I think I tweeted it, the running up and down. I think I talked about it too. But just like last night, there were a handful of times where he he grabbed a rebound and then sprinted up the court, um, mm-hmm. you know, trying to get into the offense early, um, which is something that we haven't really seen any of with Kawhi Leonard. In a, he shuffles more than he runs on the basketball court. So um, <laughs> it's it's pretty great to see that. And I hope there is another level. I know I've tweeted about it, but like his mid-range game hasn't been the same as it was last year or the, any of the last five years. And so if that picks up, you know, along with other stuff, I think that there is kind of another level to Kawhi, which is kind of insane to say because the tear he's been on, you know, sort of since he came back from busting his lip um, has been has been pretty great to watch. Um, my positive takeaway is Zoo. Um, Zoo is not only playable again, but is is winning his minutes again. Um, granted, the Nets game was a little tough. 
Um, there have been some up and down moments, you know, where he doesn't look great, you know, the first half of the Cavs game. Um, but I just think having Zoo being a weapon um, off of the bench is great. Um, and I think that being able to rely on him to give you positive minutes is really something that this team needs and was something they really, really missed, I think, at the beginning of the year. Um, and so my large adult son is back, ladies and gentlemen, and I could not be happier <laughs> about it. It really seems like that first like couple weeks of the season when he was dropping every pass really was him adjusting to getting passes from a point guard sized person rather than Kawhi. I don't have the raw numbers in front of me, but it felt like last season, most of his assisted buckets were coming from Kawhi. They had this amazing on-court chemistry. And so he was getting Kawhi passes and then it, you know, all of a sudden he had to get used to these like elbow passes from Lou Williams, who's, you know, roughly two feet shorter than, than Kawhi <laughs> Leonard. And, uh, and so it took him a minute to realize that he had to get his hands a little lower for those passes. And he was fumbling them at first and he's got it now. And like those reads that he's making, we, you, you and I kind of bitched about it in the, in the start of the season about him not making the reads he needs to out of the short roll. And he's been amazing at passing out of those lately. Um, and it's just opened up so much more for the the second unit offense. Uh, and I really think that the person who's benefited the most from that has been Marcus Morris. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, are you seeing the same stuff that, that we're seeing it? Like I, is, is zoo like kind of jumping out to you? Uh, where are you at with Kawhi right now? I think that with zoo, I think that case be made that he, um, plays better with better players. I think that he's yeah. really, um, like really malleable. And we saw that last year where, even though there were no real opportunities in training camp to truly play with Kawhi and mm-hmm. certainly not with Paul, um, right, right off the bat from last season, they had that pick and roll chemistry that I felt like their duo was better than any other two man game on the whole roster in terms of guys just like playing off one another. Yeah. So that to me kind of stood out like, I think zoo just has this, like he kind of gets it, but that was thrown into question this year. Again, the way he started with, with, with blue, uh, I was trying to look up the, the assist numbers from last season, but yeah, it was an absurd amount from Kawhi. Um, I think that not only is it kind of maybe just like a, a spatial awareness thing, like you're talking about, which I think is totally true, but I think it's also a confidence thing early on where he's coming off like the best stretch of his professional life in the bubble. Like it was a terrible bubble for everybody, but maybe not zoo. Like he probably was right. the one guy who could have left um, with like a legitimate reason to be fairly upbeat about what happened because of his personal growth. Um, you, know, you had Rick Carlisle basically being like, that guy is great. And during yeah. the Dallas series. So then all of a sudden you come back and it's like, just so you know, we're, you're coming off the bench now. I, I think that no matter how much of a team player you are, and, and he is like utmost that guy, I think it's still an adjustment to be like, oh, okay, well, now I'm not playing with the four, you know three other guys who I – had gotten to know pretty well, um, Mm -hmm. understand their tendencies. And so there's a lot of, a lot of moving parts there. And I think part of that was probably his just innermost confidence of like, okay, what do they want from me? What is my role? How much, how do I change? So you see him now into that fully and just like all the way in. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that for sure. Um, I think some of it too, is just timing from like the Lou Williams side. I think that like to focus on zoo, but Lou Williams is like, totally used to passing to Montrez Harrell. That's been his running man for, you know, three years now. Um, they played an absurd amount of minutes together. And so I think that 
sort of readjusting for the speed, the size, and like where the ball is supposed to go, Lou is struggling with that too. So I think that the pacement, the timing, the the placement and the timing is all sort of like in flux too. So he had this like high hook off like the top of the glass last night. And I can't stop thinking about it. It was just this one quick moment where he kind of lobbed it up over his like ears and it like hit the top corner of the glass and dropped in perfectly. And it was like clearly something that he has worked on that specific shot. And it it like shook me when I saw it. I was just like, I wasn't ready for that. Like I thought it was like when it went up, I was like, oh, what are we doing here? And then it right. dropped and I was like, oh, that was a practice shot. Right. And I immediately thought of the Patrick Ewing. What is that shot? Do you practice oh, that shot? That? And and Zoo being like, yes, in fact, I have practiced the hell out of that shot. Yeah. Speaking of which, uh, Nick Batum busted out another one-legged step back, turn around, fade away. Uh, <laughs> and I, I'm trying to figure out whether or not that's actually a part of his game or if he's just fucking with all of us. Um, okay, so... I can, Joseph, can I just pop in real quick? Please. Last year, Zoo and Lou Will played together 5.4 minutes per game. The least of any combinations that Zoo played with last year. So this just goes to show that there's, yeah. there's a feeling out process. Yeah, I there there is another level I think for everybody on this team. I think one of the things that um, I said last week when we were riding high off the win streak was just like there's still another level for this team to hit, right? Because they are still figuring out the new system, these new rotations, and then there's been a little bit of flux with who's available, who's not. You know, the Clippers are again dealing with that, um, which is really unfortunate. So um, let's. Let's move into our next segment, which is the biggest negative takeaway from the last week. So, Andrew, what is your biggest concern from the last week of basketball? I think that, again, when you put it in context of how the win streak had gone and the start of the road trip, my biggest concern is that is Reggie Jackson kind of regressing to maybe a little bit more than me. Um, (laughs) In his last two games, he's 0 for 7 in the field. Uh-huh. Uh, his last three games, he shot two combined free throws. Go on. Uh, in the, I think it was since Pat got hurt in that Oklahoma City game until maybe that Brooklyn game. I think he'd been av- he'd had like a six free throw game. I think he'd been averaging around three. In fact, mm-hmm. I remember looking at this like after maybe it was last night. Um, so it's gone down quite a bit, and you know, I, it's hard to quantify. Like sometimes people, I think. I think he gets definitely overplayed on Twitter about like bad Reggie or these decisions. Like these things are all happening incredibly quickly um, in the moment, but you know, there, there's sometimes there's some decisions that you're just, you know, you're not quite sure um, what's happening. And I mean, also with Ty Lue last night, like, I don't know why Reggie was necessarily in the game defensively right. mm-hmm. late in the game. Um, so maybe he's just sometimes not in the best position possible for him like, in that late game situation, but he's been so good to start the year. Uh, and so steady. I keep watching his turnovers for, against his minutes. And it's like the minutes keep going up and the turnovers stayed incredibly low. And that really hasn't changed. Um, I think he only had a couple turnovers in the last couple games, but you know, there's just, he's not making quite as many shots and there's maybe like one or two decisions per game where you were like, I don't know about that. Whereas before there was almost like no decisions. It was like almost like as Ty Lue was saying, it, we are going to have to find him a spot in this rotation because right. he's playing so well, even when Pat gets back. I just want to say, Andrew, I don't know if you heard in the beginning, Joseph already called you handsome. You don't need to win him over anymore with this Reggie talk. 
um, because I knew that this was coming today. I don't know if you could see, but Joseph was getting giddy as soon as you started talking about Reggie Jackson. Can I just say too that I have like a real soft spot for Reggie because the first time I ever walked in the locker room and he was there, uh, this was you know after the buyout last year. I forget what game it was, but it, anyway, it was like the first game, and I'm just kind of pregame. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know if people understand this, but in the old days, pre-pandemic, reporters could be in the locker room for like 45 minutes. And so there's just a general milling around that happens. Mm-hmm. And I was just there looking at him one day, just kind of scoping out the scene. And there was Reggie in the back reading Carl Hyassen novel. Okay. And I'm, you know, it's, it's like an hour before tip off. And I'm like, I love Carl Hyassen. I, I read him in college. I, I read him last year in the bubble. I was in Florida. And I just I was like, I've never met a player who you know, would be reading like a great Floridian novel um, an hour before tip off and, and talking to him a couple times one-on-one, like he really is a dude who just thinks differently about stuff. And I really mm-hmm. appreciate that. So I'm Reggie's high on my list of like really interesting dudes, but um, you know, I understand why as a player, sometimes he can maybe not be everyone's favorite. I- I'm going to follow that up with two things. One, he is the nicest dude to talk to. Um, I, it might've been that it was this, the, the, his first game, like at, at Staples center with the Clippers. Yes. Okay, so that my one of my like favorite memories of Reggie was after that game in the locker room, he was so hyped. I don't even remember who they played, but um, he was so excited in the locker room. And like everything leading up to that was like the weird like vibe in the locker room around Trez where there was just kind of like it there there was you could feel like how tense it was in that locker room at times. Um, and it was so much lighter with Reggie in there. And I remember him like yelling about how his assist numbers were going to double because of how many shooters there were on the team. And he was like so excited about like being able to get the ball to all these shooters. And two, you just mentioned being in the bubble. When is your 42 page book going to be coming out about your experience in the bubble? <laughs> I only spent 11, day, uh, 13 days there. So I, I'm afraid I could only probably get out like five pages. <laughs> I cannot wait for a photo op of LeBron just tearing into the first page of Jared Dudley's new 42 page manifesto. Um, Joseph, what was your, what's your like biggest like negative takeaway from the last week? Um, I'm going to be honest. This, this might spark a little larger discussion because you just wrote about him, Andrew. Uh, but Luke Kennard, um, I, I understand being patient. I, I've said all the caveats you know, about what's going on with him. He hasn't played basketball in a year. He's in a new team, all this other stuff, you know, and all the adjustments that come with that. I get it. Um, But it kind of felt like this road trip, given sort of everything that had gone on, people being out, that this was kind of his chance to really put his foot down and like assert himself in the rotation. Um, And he just hasn't done it um, really at all. Um, There's been flashes, but you know, the Knicks game was really, really head scratching. Um, he had two shot attempts. One was the last shot attempt of the game. And he just was like totally absent. Otherwise, um, he only played four minutes in the Brooklyn game because Ty didn't trust him in in a game where both teams basically played playoff rotations. Um, and then, you know, last night in that Celtics game, he came out hot. I think part of it might fall on Ty um, because Ty pulled him and then had him out for maybe 10 game minutes. I can't remember how long it was, but he was gone for a very long time right after that. Um, and then he just never really got it back. And I feel like he he falls into whatever the ebbs and flows of, of his performance 
are. So like he, he's not been able to get himself out of anything. Um, and everything I heard about him that sort of made it this, you know, he's an upgrade. He's going to be so much better for this team was about, you know, his aggression, his confidence, his playmaking, all this other stuff. And I haven't really seen any of that. Um, and what I have seen is something that Brian has pointed out to me a bunch of times, which is just a lot of possessions. He's just standing in the corner and he's not moving. He's not trying to find space. He's not trying to do anything to get himself involved. He's just really, really okay with standing over there in the corner and waiting for a pass, maybe, um, so that he can pump fake, take two dribbles, and then pass it to somebody else. So I just, I need to see, it doesn't need to be that he needs to start hitting, you know, scoring 30 points a night. He just needs to be aggressive consistently and like make it to where he has to be on the floor. And if his shot isn't falling, he's going to do something else other than just, you know, hit down, a, hit a corner three every once in a while. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I, I'm saying the same stuff too. And like the Boston game specifically, you know, he had the 13 first half points and like it was very clear that it was like an intentionally like we are going to get Luke going tonight. This is going to be the game that we're going to try to break Luke Kennard out of this. And it started to work. In fact, that was so much the focus that Reggie was the first guy that they pulled off the floor because they didn't want the ball out of Luke's hands. They wanted that in Luke's hands. Um, and it was amazing. And then he had two shot attempts in the second half. And it was that thing where it was just like, I mean, that could have been a 30 point game for Luke. You know what I mean? Like, like I, and I'm not even being hyperbolic. Like that could have been a 30 point game in a win possibly, you know what I mean? And, and like that could have been the confidence thing, but you know, you, you joked about the like pump fake dribble pass thing. And to me, that's like, it's, it really shows a lack of confidence mm -hmm. um, because he's getting good looks like despite not having as much off ball movement as I would want to see from, from, you know, Luke Kennard, somebody that young with that skill set, but um, he's getting these looks that the team is setting him up with and he's hesitating on them. And so that to me is like the most concerning part is the hesitation to to fire. And, and we've heard Ty time and time again say that the guys are all telling him, shoot. Like, I think there was a quote that um, it was like in a in a it might have been in a huddle during a timeout. And Kawhi was like, when you touch the ball, you shoot the ball it was like, that's I, I don't want to see you passing out of that again. We're getting you the ball in your spots. So um yeah, I don't know. Like Andrew, you wrote you wrote the article. Like, talk us down. <laughs> like, what's what's going on with Kennard, man? Yeah, that that quote you referenced. That's what he told me about Kawhi. He said that Kawhi in the Indiana game told him shoot the ball, and he got an ISO at the top for a three. He made it, and then entering the next timeout, Kawhi told him like shoot the ball. Do you see what happens when when you shoot the ball? Like good things happen, essentially. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's everything is set up for success. So. That's, that's, that's again, what I think that uh, clearly Ty is searching for. Um, and he talks about, uh, and I think Luke too. I mean, he was, I thought he was really candid um, at shoot around on Friday before the Boston game about how he looked back and was like, I can't just be um, out hustled. Like I have to right. come in more aggressive mindset. And I thought that the choice of words was really, um, was, was interesting to me, notable because he said like, I can't be out hustled, which to me was like, this is a guy who, knows that when his shot isn't falling, there has to be other things that he's, that he's doing. You know, it's, it's, he's not, he's not going to be gauged solely on his shots, at least in his perspective. So, so yeah, where is that? And last night, I think he had one assist in the second half. Um, so, you know, can, can he get in the mix more doing other things? I, I think that, you know, we're, we're far enough along the season at the quarter pole where I think that you would, you'd like to see more of the aggression. 
consistently. Mm-hmm. Yes. I don't think I'm, you know, I think that he's certainly, there's more to, there's more to his comeback um, in terms of like just his comfort on the court that I think that is initially seen. And, and, I, and I didn't know much of it until we talked about it until just how, you know, he, he spent months coming back. He was going to come back in March, but then decided, you know, when the shutdown happened, like, this is great. I'll just go back to my leg strengthening program. He did it forever. He was not really on the court fully five on five until training camp uh, with Detroit, like that mini camp in September. Yeah. So I really do think there's like a physical aspect to it that he's still finding his way back, but the confidence, um, well, I should say, I, w- I was going to say the confidence should always be there, but the confidence is married so much with these guys with their physical well-being that, right. Yes. I, I guess that if there's really any hesitation at all, with just kind of where the movement or whatnot, that's going to bleed over into your confidence. You know, do you have it to get that shot to get that separation from a guy? So I very much would like to see um, the kind of version that we we know we can see because we know we saw it last year through like 22 games in Detroit where he had 16 points a game. Um, so I, I think that that is certainly something that needs to happen for this team to reach its upper limit. Because like I wrote in the story, if they win big, it's not just going to be because of Kawhi and PG. You have yeah. to have a ceiling raiser, a floor raisers from your other role players. And he is one of those guys – who kind of unlocks uh, a second round team to a conference finals team or beyond. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I think it is physical too, but I also think that the team kind of understands, like I think the reason why the message has been shoot, 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 shoot. And like not, I even asked Ty, I was like, what can he do? That's not just shooting um, to like kind of unlock his game. And Ty's response and, you know, a nice coach speak kind of way was, no, he just needs to shoot more. Um, Because I think that the team understands that that's where I think that confidence that we saw in Detroit kind of comes from is when he's rolling, when he's hitting shots, then all this other stuff, he's able to fold everything else in because he's able to leverage that to get, you know, into the paint or to set other guys up. And so, um, and we've, we've seen glimpses even this year. I don't remember what game it was, but there was a game where he came down and he fired like a 28 footer and drained it. And it was like one of those really exciting moments where you're like, oh, there's that guy that we need him to be. And it just doesn't show up enough. You know, it's it's once every few games for a quarter, maybe we see it and that's it. So um, I just need to see more, I think, um, consistently, because if if we're going to give him 64 million a year for the next four years and that that means that he's going to be a part of the rotation and a, and a big part of it. So. Um, he's got to kind of start living up to that, you know, by the end of this year. I'm not going to say he needs to do it next week, but, you know, like by the end of the year, he needs to start showing flashes of, of who the, the guy is that they gave that contract to. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay. So now we're going to get to the segment. Oh, Brian, did you say you're negative? Uh, no, actually, I didn't. I just realized that. <laughs> um, mine is is that the health this last week is is starting to concern me a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Clippers love to to play everything close to the vest, so I don't think any of us really know the severity of of um, Pat Bev right now, like where he's at with that. Like it, it it's it's a lot like the Marcus Morris thing, where Marcus Morris, it was I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Okay, he's available tonight. You know what I mean? And so like it's it's I don't know how concerned. I should be about that, but he hasn't played in two weeks. Um, and this thing with Kawhi, 
I mean, if you do like the Google, or I'm sorry, not Kawhi, PG, if you do the Google search on when a bone edema is, uh, you know, it's, it very much felt like uh, Clippers fans yesterday were like going down the uh, like WebMD rabbit hole where you're like, I kind of have like a scratchy throat. And then you look it up and you're like, oh my God, I have lung cancer. You know what I mean? Right. It, was, it was like yeah. one of those things. Uh, I, Joseph, you you were going to say something. I, I think I think it's edema. You said edema, which sounds like enema. He okay, did not yeah. get an enema in his bone. That's not what happened. He has, I think, a bone Ed- edema. Edema. Okay. I, I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, I've never had it. Never, never seen it before. Um, so thank you, Dr. Joe. Uh, hey, man. Appreciate that. As someone, as someone who has suffered from chronic illness for the last two years, I have a minor in medicine now. Okay. I think I know what a bone edema <laughs> is. Um, um, but yeah, that's, it's, it's worrisome. And, and. Even guys that have come back from injury, Marcus Morris, he doesn't look the same. He he no. looks slow. Um, his his defense hasn't been that great this year, which was like the one thing that got Joseph on board with Marcus Morris last season was that his defense was way better than I think any of us kind of thought it was going to be. And it sucks right now, like just flat out. His defense is not good and he's not quick. He's not rotating very well. It just a lot of it is is really concerning. Like, I don't know if he's still conditioning because that injury was was more brutal than we thought it was. Like, I don't know what it is, but the the long term health um, that this last week is I don't know. The last week just has me thinking about long term term health. And I think that with Pat Beverly, especially like it's it's a bummer because I think it was Kawhi who had said that he really had seen from Pat in the off season that he was really being great about taking care of himself and kind of like, you know, we're all getting older and, and Pat's at that point of a career where he's already been hurt a decent amount since he became a Clipper. And, and anyway, Kawhi just seemed like he, he described an emphasis that seemed like, yeah, he's really taking it to the next level. So to have this, this right knee soreness for this long is definitely a bummer because again, it just seems like someone who, at least from one player who's very fastidious about his physical health, you would think he would know this, that, um, that yeah, Pat seemed to be doing everything right in terms of getting to where he needed to be to like have a sustained, you know, availability stretch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I feel, I feel bad for Pat because if there's anyone who like is devastated to not be playing right now, you know, it's Pat Beverly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It like, it must be like heartbreaking to know that running in the beach in Timberlands has betrayed him. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, maybe that, that's it. Maybe the planting <laughs> with Timberlands wasn't really the best uh, shock absorber for his knees. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to talk to him about that. Try to get him to to change that up, dude. Just buy some Skechers. Like, why are you running around in Timberlands? Like, come on, <laughs> yeah. is your image that important? Anyway, um, I love you, Pat. Get, get well soon. Um, he's a, he's a avid listener of the show, Andrew. So uh, be careful what you say. No, I'm kidding. Um, so. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think the Pat thing is really concerning, mostly because the Clippers just aren't as good when he doesn't play. They they showed yeah. that graphic yesterday. They're five hundred. They're sixteen and sixteen. Now they're sixteen and seventeen. But when he doesn't play over the last few years, you know, since he's been there, and they're an elite team when he plays. Um, I know that the internet discourse about Pat Beverly is that he's not actually good. He's so good, and he impacts the game in so many different ways. And the Clippers need him because he does a lot of things that the Clippers just don't have anywhere else. Um, and I think that to kind of touch on your general negative and like concern, the Clippers have a lot of guys that fill a role and then they're the only one who fills that role. 
So if they lose that guy, they don't have anybody else to kind of step up and take that particular role. Um, they have guys who can fill the the positional role um, and do different things, but they don't have another Pat Beverly on the roster. They don't have another Lou Williams on the roster. They don't, obviously, you don't have another Paul George on the roster, but like if Nick Batum got hurt, we'd be in trouble. If, you know, even with Marcus Morris out, you know, we only really have two kind of reserve wings and that's Nick Batum and Marcus Morris. So like the, the, the margins are super thin on the back end of this roster. And so when you don't have the team at full health, it's kind of hard to really judge what, who they are because they don't have anybody else to do the things that they're missing. Um, and Marcus Morris does not look good defensively to go back to that. He just does not look good. Um, and he doesn't look like he's moving well. Yeah. He's hitting shots, but anytime he runs, it looks painful. So I hope that that's more conditioning than it is just pain tolerance. Um, because if he's just going to be playing like that all year, that's that's a bit of a problem. Well, and there was that that scary moment last night with Kawhi where he took a finger to the eye, um, <laughs> yeah. and and went to the bench and like, you know, thank God he's he's fine and he he checked in just a few moments after that happened. I did have like a quick like roller coaster of emotions where I was like, oh my God, no, not Kawhi. And then I was like, well, we got mass Kawhi. Is it time for eye patch Kawhi? And like was like, oh, this might be a thing. But um, no, it looks like he recovered pretty quickly from that. Just to f- my final thought. It's very quick. Patrick Beverly is the Clippers talisman. You know, he just, yeah. whatever it is about him, he is so essential to what they do that uh, I don't know. I'd love to know. I'd love to get like a ranking of other around the NBA, every team's equivalent of Pat Beverly to every other team, because he is, but even on that scale, I think he's got to be at the upper spectrum of it because he's just yeah. so important to what they do. Yeah. Also, the, the closest player I can think of was missing last night and Marcus Smart. I, I agree with that. And also, Andrew, we are very pro-bloviating here. So go go as f- long as you want, as loud as you want, whatever you want to do. We'll just, we'll lay out, okay? <laughs> It'll be great. Um, great. Speaking of which, we are now getting to the segment that you were very excited about. You, you, you and I were DMing about it, and you wouldn't stop talking about it. And that is the hot take of this last week. You said you were rip-rearing and ready to go, and you've got the best hot take anyone's ever seen. So... Andrew, are you ready? Do you want to go first, or do you want to do you want to see our inferior takes? Let me let me unbuckle my belt a little bit. Let me just get really loose on this one. Um, <laughs> I it's I, I guess I just go back and forth. Obviously, there's so much discourse about what the Clippers need, right? And you know, it's a point guard, it's a backup, it's a, it's a guy who can unlock their offense. Um, I don't think that's off base. You know, I thought that going in the off season, it seemed like from people I talked to that that was absolutely something they were targeting. Um, but I guess I just, maybe this isn't so hot, but I think obviously when you hear that, I think, you, I think there's a lot of it, like your mind starts to race. Well, who could, who could they get? Who could they get? Who could they get? I don't know who, how much better they can really get at guard right now with what they have to deal. Um, and I, I don't think, again, I think that's probably, something that's been talked about quite a bit. And we actually wrote a story, Dan Wojcicki and I, my colleague, before the season began about what the trade market could look like for Lou Williams, for Pat Beverly, and Zubat because they seem to be maybe the best trade bait on the roster. Um, and the reviews we got back from scouts and executives was not promising. And ever since then, Pat's gotten hurt. Um, and Lou Williams, you know, he started out at one of his kind of lowest – you know, points per game total, I think since his second year in the league. Um, so I don't think that they have exactly kind of raised their value uh, perhaps. So I, 
when you have those guys as maybe the best, um, most movable, at least in, in theory, options, um, and then you have four second round picks from Detroit, I just, I just am very curious to see what this very creative front office, who no doubt will do something um, that no one expects, that's how they work. But I just, I just, I'm, I look around and I think, okay, you can go down the list, but like at a certain point, you, you reach guys who aren't better than Patrick Beverly, and you right. reach guys who aren't better than Lou Williams for all of their their strengths and their weaknesses. Um, so I, with what they have, I'm just really curious about how much better if they and do target that. If they if they see that as their area, they need to upgrade at where they go because it's not an obvious. Um, it's not an obvious like, oh, they can definitely go get that guy, like Alonzo Ball, you know, like, right. oh, clearly they can get that. Well, you know, you think about New Orleans on that side too, et cetera, you're on the list. So uh, that's just my thought is I think there's a lot of talk about what they need, but we should probably be realistic about like, what do they have that someone else would like back? And I don't, I don't know how attractive that is. Wow. That is scorching, Andrew. We are all reeling from that <laughs> hot <laughs> time. <laughs> That was good. That was a good one. Uh, <laughs> why does anybody agree to come on the show? They just get bullied and picked on when they come on. I don't know why anybody agrees to come on Clipset. It's like a crush in like third grade. You just enjoy the bullying. It's what it's what draws <laughs> them to us, I think. Um, <laughs> Brian, what is your hot take of the week? Um, my hot take in true uh, in true Clipper fashion is going to be um, a bit of a knee jerk from these two losses is that uh, we're, we're entering like I'm not saying all the alarm bells are going off, but it's time to start being concerned um, with a few things. One, I already mentioned with with the long term health. Um, the other thing is that the more I think about it, I don't think this team has a marquee win. I think that there have been like a couple turning points on the season. And I actually think that um, the, the Miami game was was one of those where they were able to put together a win without, you know, their their three best players. Um, but yeah, like I, I thought it was Denver. OK, the Clippers beat the Lakers opening night, but that's opening night. It's kind of a crapshoot. Anything can happen. It's the most like chaotic neutral night of the year. Um, Christmas was the like the, the redemption. <laughs> We just right, we, but it, I don't know. It, it's not that crazy that we beat them. Like it's just not. Anyway, go ahead. Um, but it, but what I'm saying is that I I also don't think it would have been that crazy if the Lakers had beat the Clippers. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and like it's and if that had happened, we'd be sitting here saying, "Dude, it's opening night. It doesn't. You know, like it's right. not real." Um, and so I I thought that Christmas was the one because it was like the redemption against Denver. But after watching Denver play you know, a few more weeks after that, that one's a little less impressive for me. Um, despite Jokic being an MVP caliber player, he's been unbelievable this year, but the rest of the team isn't really doing it for me. And I just, I really kind of thought that Brooklyn would have been it, right? Like, even though Brooklyn is still figuring it out, I understand that there's not a lot of film on this current iteration of the nets, but that would have felt good that they had taken down a big three, right? Um, and then it happened and I was like, ah, it's okay. They were close. They were in it. And then Boston happened and, you know, both teams hobbled. But again, it was just kind of like this, like they're close at the end 
against a good team and they didn't pull it out. And so it's starting to worry me a little bit. And Boston specifically, there were some rotation issues. Like I kind of think the zoo should have been closing in crunch time. I think that zoo should have been, he, he outplayed Ibaka. I thought he was way better than Ibaka in, in the Boston game. Um, you know, like Andrew, you kind of mentioned the, the Reggie, like there were times where I was like, what's Reggie doing on the floor right now? in this game. Um, and there's, there's just some concerns there. I know no PG makes all the difference, especially because he really has been, um, the playmaker for this team. He's been really good at doing that, but, um, yeah, I don't, I'm just starting to worry a little bit and, and they've piled up a lot of wins against lesser teams, which is a, is an upgrade over last year because they lost a lot of those games last year. They lost a lot of dumb games that they should have won, but I'm really waiting for that win to happen. That's like, there it is. Like that's that you beat a team, like an elite team, a tough win that you should, you know, like that. I just feel like there hasn't been a marquee win yet. And so I'm starting to get a little worried about, you know, again, like back to the Boston game is the shot selection at the end, like Kawhi dribbling into, into double teams and pulling up. It was just like, you know, I know that PG wasn't there to take the pass, but there are other guys that could hit shots in that moment on the floor. Um, and so it's just worrying me a little bit. Joseph, you got a hot take? I do. Andrew, do you have anything you want to add to that? I saw mm-hmm. you sort of pensively over there. Oh, I was pensive. I was I was just looking back through the game log. I think one thing that struck me <laughs> that there's not – you're right. Like There's that close Utah loss on the road. Uh, that would have been a nice one. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you brought up the point that they're beating the, the teams they should beat, I think it's not only that to me that's um, – not like it's – going to change the fact they've lost some close games to really good teams, but it's been a, it's just been a little, a subtle shift from last year. Not only that they're winning that, but that they're, they're generally crushing bad teams. Um, so by double digits, uh, obviously there was that stretch where they overwhelmed Sacramento, Indiana, Sacramento, OKC, but um, you know, they, they've crushed Portland and Minnesota when, when it was required. So I'm, I guess I look at the schedule ahead and I kind of wonder are they going to have those head scratching losses like they did last year where they had some of some of the last year's best victories, maybe in the league at certain points. And then they had some of the most unexplainable losses too. So I, I feel like they might not have some marquee wins um, maybe in the next couple weeks even, but you'll probably see them have fewer, like what were they doing their nights? Yeah, that's fair. I was actually talking to Garrett about this because um, you were talking about like, perplexing right like they get up for the really good like last year they got up for the really good teams and then they just dropped these like nonsensical games against lesser teams that's the brooklyn nets right now like it's funny watching the nets and it's like oh this is last year's clippers um it's really funny seeing that because it's the exact same thing they have some really impressive wins and then some games that they've lost like they dropped two to cleveland like what what is happening there um but that sorry that little bit of a tangent there but that just that made me think of that because there are a lot of similarities in the way that they're getting up and not showing up in some of these games yeah we we really we really had a a, an unfortunate sort of turn of the schedule where they blew that five point lead in 13 seconds uh to the wizards you know a couple nights before they played us so i think not just getting up for us i think they were motivated by the fact that everybody clowned them for not playing any defense that night i mean it was it was really really bad um my hot take of the week is a quick one. Uh, I would give my life for Nick Batum at this point. I tweeted it. I'm going to stand by it. <laughs> I would I would jump in front of a bullet for Nick Batum right now. Uh, he is incredible. I'm a member of the Batum Battalion. Um, and 
He just seems to do every, you know, the the bobbling of the ball, that whole sequence. You know, I, it almost felt like it was going to be another signature moment for Nick Batum where he just does the thing that the team needs him to do. I've had this thought. Anytime the Clippers need something, magically the ball has found Nick Batum this season and he's done whatever it is that they needed. Um, and last night he missed one three, I think, at the top, um, you know, kind of late in the game. But other than that, he's just been magnificent and I don't know what I would do if he wasn't on the team. Um, I don't know what the Clippers would do if he wasn't on the team. So uh, that's that's my hot take of the week. Um, okay, so let's let's move into um, something that you're going to struggle with, Andrew. This is this is the not take of the week. Okay, just like a totally sort of rational, um, just thing that you've taken away from this last week. Like what's what's kind of like a it could be big picture, small picture, something like that. Well. Maybe I should have been my hot take now that I heard your um, your your hot take. But I think that Nick Batum is maybe like a top ten, maybe top five interview uh, of my career. Oh yeah, he is he is a delight on the zooms, um, yeah. which makes me wonder, like in person, if we had access, kind of what it would be like. But he's he's I, I, again. People aren't in these zooms like we are, but it can be pretty like sterile environment. Um, just very like kind of dead. It's a, it's always awkward because everyone feels the, the need to like personally greet whoever's talking. Like so, inevitably, Ty gets asked like, "How are you doing?" Like ten times in a pregame session um, in a row. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Like, so uh, Christmas Christmas was the best. Merry Christmas eight times in a row was yeah. really the best thing I think yeah. I've ever heard in my whole life. <laughs> um, I was like, guys, you didn't have that merry of a Christmas. Like, there's no way. He was in a hotel in Denver. <laughs> but Nick is just like, he, you know, he, he like reacts. Like, I was asking him a question last night and like, I was almost caught off guard because he was like, you could see him like rolling with what I was asking, like mid, he was just like, his facial you know, reaction was just like, yep, 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 I agree with you. And so he just is really good. And I, and I feel like he's been so good not yeah. because he's just like a, you know, willing to share kind of his thoughts and be candidly. But I think he's sort of like that character in a movie who is like the audience's um, kind of perspective. Like he's like, he is your like perspective into the, into the plot. He's the new guy in this locker room. Yeah. Seeing stuff with fresh eyes. And so because he's so, sort of like willing to, to just be like, this is how, what I'm seeing and what's what I'm liking. This is what I'm not like, and dissect his own play. I think it's really valuable because he, he comes at this with fresh eyes and he's been really good. I've, I really enjoy um, Nick Batum so far, even though we're disconnected um, every night, it's, it's really nice to just kind of hear his thoughts and see the way, at least the way he talks about it, blend into the locker room. His his ending to his uh, post game, I think it was after the Brooklyn game when he uh, missed the free throw that he was supposed to make and made the free throw he was supposed to miss. And like nobody touched it. And his final remarks in that uh, Zoom interview was uh, no free throw questions. Thank you, guys. And like gets up and walks yeah. out. And it was just like, <laughs> yeah, he's he's definitely uh, an enjoyable dude for sure. I thought he was referencing more about that. They weren't getting as many calls as they thought. Oh, I thought it, it could have been that he, too. Like, had yeah, I I took it as like he completely botched that that trip to the line. Oh, maybe. Um, and like was like I'm so stoked nobody asked me about that. 
<laughs> it could be. Either way, um, it would have been uncomfortable for him to be yeah. like, why didn't you guys get the calls? Like, you know, it's not <laughs> not a fun yeah, question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, my, my not take is um, I, I kind of ranted about this already online, um, but it, it's something that I just keep thinking about is so in the bubble, Paul George struggled a little bit. Um, and he, he opened up about it after one of the games about him dealing with anxiety being in, um, you know, basically isolated from his family, um, and, and opened up about his struggles with, with mental health. And there was this moment where, you know, everybody loves to pile on Paul George. He's kind of the like kicking can of the league for whatever reason. And, um, it stopped for a moment and there was this conversation of like, okay, this isn't funny anymore. Like this is a, a person who's dealing with these issues and, and um, maybe we shouldn't be laughing the way that we have been. And it was kind of nice for a moment. I was like, oh, wow. People, you know, found a little nuance on Twitter. This is a uh, wow. And he's having an amazing start to his season. He's an MVP caliber player right now. Um, he was shooting 50, 50, 90 until like two weeks ago, I think. Um, he's been absolutely unbelievable and they lost to the Nets and um, suddenly the conversation is back and like the Paul George conversation has just gotten so out of hand. Um, and it, it really was ignited again by the the Jared Dudley, you know, I'm putting air quotes on, on the word book, um, but the comments about that and like how, yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> His uh, his PDF um, and that like, you know, and, and for him to even be like to, that, we we were offended that he was put on the same level as AD and it was like, what the him and AD had similar careers at the at the time that you guys were playing in the bubble. Um, in fact, yeah, you're right. You're right. Not Paul even. George had a Not better even. career. Yeah. Yeah. Paul George had made it to the conference finals twice. Yeah. And at this point, if Paul George just plays the way Paul George plays doesn't ever win a finals or anything like that. I still think he's in the hall of fame. That's how good he's been. And, um, you know, he's, we've talked about the horrific injury to his leg, the, the shoulder injuries, all of that stuff. Um, but to me, the, the bigger thing is that like, there was this like moment of clarity where people saw somebody dealing with mental health and were like, okay, maybe we shouldn't be piling on this. And suddenly that's gone away as if, People who have never dealt with mental health don't understand. It's not a like, oh, I went to two like sessions of therapy and I'm cured now. You know what I mean? Like it's that's not how it works. These things come and they're with you and it's something that you're going to deal with your whole life. And maybe you're fortunate enough to have the tools to be able to deal with it better than some other people and have better days. But it doesn't go away. And this is still a dude like anxiety is not a one time thing. And this is still a guy who probably is dealing with his own anxiety and is he clearly has made reference to things that he's seen on the internet and he's piled on nonstop and there's no way, I don't care how many millions of dollars you make, there's no way that makes you feel good or is conducive to having a healthy mental outlook on things. And I think that people need to kind of look inward a little bit when we're doing this. And, um, you know, I would say the majority of us probably deal with some form of, of, uh, mental health or, or struggle with anxiety or depression in some way, especially a year into a pandemic. Um, and so there's just this like real lack of sensitivity towards it. That's really strange to me. I, I think it's crazy that we went from let's laugh at him to, Oh, this dude's having a hard time. That sucks to, Hey, let's go back to laughing at him. And I don't understand where that disconnect is happening.
anyways, rant over. Sorry. That's my not take of the week. I'd say it feels like a cycle, right? It just feels like a cycle that's not going to end either because, you know, Paul is, is again, I feel like throughout the year has been a really like irreplaceable guide for us on these Zooms in terms of like how he's feeling about the season, how he's going about his play. Like he's pretty candid. And so mm-hmm. you just know that that's going to feed. It's like another log on the fire for um, a large segment of social media. And so I just don't know really how we really escape that. And, and to your point, how Paul escapes that. So it's, yeah, it's like this burden. Right. seems like it's, it's, it's almost impossible to get away from um, short of winning a title. But even until then, it's like you have to reach that. So it's, I don't envy um, kind of that, that level of, it feels like everyone's just kind of waiting to hear what you have to say next. I don't envy that at all. So yeah, it's, I agree with you there. Yeah. It's tough. It's, it's really, really tough. And I think that even talking to like, even if he wins the finals, if he doesn't win finals MVP and doesn't outplay Kawhi Leonard, people are going to still say that he's not good enough. And it doesn't make any sense, you know, um, because at this point, he is ingrained in everyone's mind as this like loser who doesn't show up in the playoffs, which is totally not true. Like, it's just not a true thing. Um, and it's just tough. I think, I don't know. I don't know what's going to, what it's going to take to sort of sway the tide of, you know, public opinion his way other than him, you know, dominating the playoffs and, and doing something like that. Um, but even then, you know, it might take another three months. And if he hits the side of the backboard one time in the regular season, it'll all come back. Um, and it's really right. frustrating um, because I think in general, the, the, the sports consumption like masses is particularly in basketball. We talked about this last week a little bit, but just there's just like no perspective and there's no real understanding. There's no understanding that Michael Jordan got his ass kicked for what, eight years of his career before he went on his run where he won six in a row. LeBron James went through all the same stuff, was called a choker, a loser, a failure, you know, all this other stuff. And now, you know, he's he's in the Pantheon or whatever. Everybody struggles in the NBA because guess what? It's really hard to win because there's a lot of talent. And if there's more talent in the league when you're playing, you're probably not going to win all the time. Um, and mm-hmm. people just kind of seem to think that the winners won all the time and made every shot um, and the losers lose all the time and that's it. Uh, and that's just not how it works. So um, I feel for it. I feel for the guy um, because it's totally unwarranted. It's just totally unwarranted. Um, okay. So Joseph, what's your not take? My not take? Um, yeah. I just think that the road trip was like such a tough road trip that the last seven games are kind of hard to use as a barometer, right? You got the injuries. You got the protocols. You have two sets of three games and four nights and then ending with another set of three games and four nights with the travel day. So they had the back-to-back, then a travel day, and then they played the Celtics. So, you know, it's kind of like you're seeing all these things where you're like, oh, I don't know, that doesn't really look good. They look like they don't have a lot of energy. Well, maybe it's because they just spent 10 games, 10 days playing seven games, and that's basically what, you know, what we're watching is these dudes being exhausted from a really grueling schedule. Um, I just think that looking at the schedule this year, trying to jam 72 games into this kind of condensed schedule, there's going to be some weeks where you're going to have some, you know, quote unquote schedule losses where your guys are just going to be tired. Um, I'm, I'm not a professional athlete, but I've played basketball a couple days in a row and I can't move, you know, for a few days after that. So <laughs> it's just tough. It's really tough to play high level 
basketball for big minutes. I mean, these guys played, what, almost 40 minutes in that Nets game and then played again the next night. Everybody played. And then they all got on a plane and had to play again. And guess what? We don't even get a break. We have a nooner tomorrow. We have one game, and then we have to wake up at, you know, four in the morning to go get our COVID tests to then go and play the Kings at 12. You know, it's just, it's brutal. It's going to be a brutal stretch. And um, I don't think that we should all be panicking right now because the guys are in the middle of a tough stretch of the schedule. Something happens. Happens every year. And they go, they go Kings, Minnesota, Chicago, Cleveland, right. the next four. Right. I think to your point about the, the workload, as again, as someone who just watched it from afar, um, it's, you know, it's hard to put yourself in players shoes about like just the level of fatigue. But when I was traveling uh, the first two years with on almost every road trip, and I would, I would go to that city. I would do the Dallas Miami back to back. I would do the, you know, like I would, I would be show up at the arena for like, you know, the, whatever the third game in four nights or, and I would just be like, tired and just kind of, you know, I just, I would feel the effects right. of the road. And it really, it really made me feel a, a level of empathy that I hadn't expected. It was just like traveling is hard, you know, like, yeah. it's, like that part of it can't be, there's reasons why NBA teams dumped so much money over the last decade into like sleep studies. Um, this is stuff that is, is hard. And when you do it and you're like, even even if they're traveling private and I'm traveling commercial, it doesn't really matter. Like right. they're still they're they're leaving a, the bowels of an arena. They're grabbing some meal in the post game in the locker room, and then they're arriving at their next city at three in the morning. And then they're expected to oh go go get eight hours of good sleep. Um, right. That's something that we do it. Um, it's it does kind of put it in perspective more so than ever in my case when I was just watching it from the couch because it's yeah there's a lot of nights when I would show up like do I have it tonight? And I'm like. <laughs> I'm like, I don't, I'm not playing 40 minutes. Right. Yeah. It's tough. It's a tough, it's a tough life. They make a lot of money, but there's a reason. Um, it's not the easiest thing in the world. You, so, you bring up the sleep um, thing and it's, it's wildly important. My therapist has recently been talking to me about the importance of sleep because I don't get enough sleep. Um, and, uh, he had me like doing research on it basically. And the world health organization, I just found this out like 48 hours ago, um, is basically declared that sleep deprivation is a carcinogen and that there are studies showing the links between lack of sleep to uh, cancer cells, um, which is fucking crazy. Anyways, that just it's been fresh in my mind and it came up and it's it's crazy how important sleep is um, when it comes mm-hmm. to just overall health, let alone being a professional athlete. Thanks for making me feel awful because I have three children under the age of four and a half. And uh, I'm just going to tell you, sleep is, sleep is real bad right now. So. <laughs> Uh, so that makes me feel worse. Maybe I should go for a run or something. I don't know. Eat some spinach <laughs> or, I, or grab a pack of cigarettes and lean into it, man. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It'll help with the stress for sure. It'll help with the stress. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't function if I don't sleep, if I don't get, if I don't have a good night's sleep, I'm a mess the next day. And it, and it took me until, you know, 28 years of life to realize that there was a correlation between the two, but I was like, <laughs> Oh, maybe I need to just sleep better. And then, I'll, I'll not be such a dick all the time. All right. Okay. So let's move on uh, to our listener questions. Um, we'll do some quick hitters here. Some of these I feel like we've maybe touched on a little bit. Yeah. Um, but the first question is from Fear the Bench Mob. Uh, the question is, how does Lou say they, had, they ran too many ISO plays when he drew them up in the first place? Um, 
I'm going to, I'm going to step on this really quick. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Ty Lue has been phenomenal um, in admitting when he's made a bad decision, you know, post game, if the team kind of devolves into something, he will own that it was his decision to do those things and they didn't work and they'll have to do them better. Um, so I think that he acknowledges when that happens. Same time, other side of that, early in the year, Ty said that we're going to play three and a half quarters of like a motion kind of spread out offense where we're moving the ball around. And if the game is tight for those last six minutes of the fourth quarter, he said something along the lines of I'm going to ride the ponies. Like we're it's money time is what he called it. So he's he's going to ride his two stars. That's going to be iso ball sometimes. Sometimes it's going to work. Sometimes it's not. Obviously, I think some of us who fall in love with the ball movement early in the game want to see more of it. But when it's crunch time and it's a good team, things are tough. Defenses are better. You know, guys lock in and, and you're going to have to kind of rely on your talent to get you out of that. So um, hopefully they find little wrinkles to kind of make it less your turn, my turn, E, you know, and I'm confident Ty will figure that out. But that's pretty much the design at this point is, you know, that's that's what they're going to do. That's what they want to do. So yeah, that, there's always going to be that push pull all year yeah. between ball movement uh, of swinging it and getting it to your guys who theoretically should be your money players. Um, you know, two of the best offensive players this season and what top ten or top fifteen. I mean, however you want to rank it, with Kawhi and PG. So it's always going to be there. Um, but when you have luxuries like those two guys, uh, you'd also be a little crazy not to ride it in certain situations. And I think that Brooklyn game was a little bit of a microcosm of that for me, whereas like attacking those mismatches did bog down the offense a little bit, but it also for the first, you know, six minutes was like the thing that was working the best, you know, they're going after Kyrie. Why? And so it's, there's always going to be some tension that exists there between, you know, how, what do we do with the offense? But um, I think what we've seen so far that would be encouraging is that they can do both at a pretty high level. They can move the ball pretty well. And they're also have, two scores who are um, probably playing the best offensive basketball of their careers right now. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I've, I've really got nothing else to add to that. Like it's, it's two of the best ISO players in the league. Like how, how are you not going to kind of do that? Um, overall, I, I think it has worked. Um, you know, you talked about the Brooklyn game to me, it was the, the Boston game. It was those last two Kawhi possessions, like didn't necessarily have to be ISO. And I, I'm actually fine with them being ISO. I just not those, it was the shot selection. It was those two shots. Like I, there was still time on the clock. They could have found a better look for them. But um, yeah, I mean, all in all, it's this team has been sitting at the top of the league doing it. So I don't until until they start to like, you know, plunge towards 500. I think that you got to keep kind of running with what's been working. Knock on wood right now. You better knock on wood. Thank you. <laughs> um, OK, so the next question is from Mr. Bandito. Uh, he asked, uh, am I weird for not freaking out about the losses this week? Uh, we've kind of touched on this one. Does anybody think he's weird? I don't know you, Mr. Bandito. So I'm going to say, no, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Although I do like weird people. So, uh, if you are weird, you're welcome into warm waters here, my friend. (laughs) Strong agree. I couldn't say it better. Cool. We're all in agreement then. Um, LA Clips Tape asks, uh, we haven't been good at containing penetration out of the pick and roll this year. That's true. Uh, going into last night, um, the team was giving up the second most points per possession to pick and roll ball handlers and the third highest score frequency. Some of that is design because they play drop, but 
Anyway, um, which could kill us against a team like Utah with Mitchell, Conley, Ingles in that high screen action. What defensive guard or wing do you see us going after? He mentions Rondé Hollis Jefferson and potentially Mo Harkless. Um, I thought Mo, I mean, if we're just, if I'm just going to concentrate on one of those names, I mean, Mo was, Mo was great at that last year. I mean, he was, um, like I, I sensed after the trade for Morris that there was like a lot of people who were like, I really like Mo. Like, why do we have to part with Mo? Um, so he was, I mean, I, I remember watching last year against Boston, he would take on Kemba and he would go all the way down to the five. And there's not a lot of guys obviously in the league who can do that. So I, in terms of who they're going after, I, I don't know, but Mo is, is really, really good at that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Harkless. I like, you know, Andrew, kind of like you were saying earlier there, I don't think the trade market is that great for this team. Um, and if they're gonna, if, if they're going to add pieces, I think it's going to have to come off the buyout market. Uh, Rondé Hollis Jefferson is available as far as I know. Um, Harkless is not right now. So maybe Rondé's a name that they look at. Um, I also think that if, if this is just a conditioning thing and, and getting back into rhythm, Marcus Morris can be that guy. He showed that he could be that guy in the bubble at times. Um, and, you know, if, if he really starts to put his game back together, especially on the defensive end of the ball, you know, I, I think that that helps out a lot with the current situation. But, um, yeah, I mean, like like Joseph said, they they struggle, you know, with the ball handler in the pick and roll. And it's. It tends to be small guards, and this is something that we talk about is the, the Clippers struggle with small guards, and it's really been exposed on this road trip without Patrick Beverly. Um, and, you know, yeah. I know that he says that, you know, even when Pat playing, but um, I, I do think that, I don't know, I, I just, I, I think that it'll kind of round out a little bit with with Pat if he's healthy with the team, and if, you know, Marcus Morris um, starts to kind of round back out. Yeah, I mean, Marcus guards more bigger players i think yeah. that that was kind of what we talked about too it was just like mo for the clippers in particular was guarding guards you know the majority of the time um i'd love to see that he doesn't really bring anything offensively unfortunately um even though i think i'd like him as like a defensive piece um but in terms of how our rotation is built it doesn't i don't really know you know maybe back up power forward but at the same time like is there really a spot there i don't really know um so, I mean, Rondé Hollis Jefferson, I think, is an interesting name that we talked about. I guaranteed earlier in the year that he was going to be a Clipper because of Kenny Atkinson. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I was joking around. But um, he's someone that I sort of pined after because I, I saw this sort of dearth of defense on the wing for the Clippers this year. Um, you know, it's Kawhi and PG, and then we kind of have two other guys, and there's no one really there in the back to prevent a real catastrophe if any of those guys got injured. Um, and so, you know, the Clippers don't have any money, so they're going to have to wait until the trade deadline or post for that buyout market to really sign anybody to have enough room under the hard cap. Um, but I don't know. I, I think some of it is executing better. It doesn't really seem like the team is going to change their scheme. Um, they're probably going to stay and drop and Ty is sort of imploring and Dan Craig is imploring the guys to just fight over the top screens and contest from behind. Um, and they just got to get better at it. So hopefully come playoff time, you know, we're playing eight, nine guys who are, you know, good, you know, and only two negative defenders in Lou and, and Luke Kennard sort of barring any trade. But I think it should be a little easier to kind of do that when you're not having 
three defensive liabilities that are guards playing heavy minutes, which is what we've been seeing since Pat's been out. So um, there's there's probably help coming in terms of just getting healthy. So um, okay, so we got two we got two fun ones here. You you tried to answer one of these on Twitter, Andrew, but we're gonna we're gonna force you into this, okay? But the first one comes from Luca E. Uh, and it's Greif is German for Griffin. Did you know that? And um, does that mean anything to you, Andrew? I did know that. It doesn't mean a damn thing to me. Um, wow. I. It's obviously a pretty, it's not like the most common last name. So um, my dad does a lot of genealogy. Like he's mapped this thing out. He's a, he's a history teacher, a retired history Okay. So he like, this is what, like some people love breaking down film. My dad loves breaking down the family tree. So um, he's, he's, he went to Germany a couple of summers ago with my mom and like they, they went out, they went to the hometown. Like, so uh, I knew a fair amount about it, but um, I, I guess I haven't ever, con- I don't consider myself like a, like a Griffin. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't think of my dad. Yeah. Like um, I just think of myself as the guy whose name was always mispronounced uh, at Safeway growing up. Good grief. Okay. Brian, Are you, what you- hold on, hold on. <laughs> well, first of all, breaking news that your dad is a genie, which is what I just heard. Um, that's, I think that's super interesting. Um, second, are you from NorCal? You just said Safeway and that's a very NorCal. I'm from Southern Oregon. Oh, okay. Yeah. That also makes yeah. sense. Yeah. From the okay. Oregon coast, uh, North Bend, Oregon. So, uh, if we want to get real particular, it's the largest Metro area on the Oregon coast, uh, the North Bend, <laughs> Coos Bay, Raider area. Um, okay. So yeah, Safeway definitely was like my childhood thing. I, when we came down here for high school basketball tournaments to the LA area, we were all amazed that Ralph's, what Ralph's was like, we all yeah. got like Ralph's cards. We were staying in Palm Springs for a tournament for like a week. We thought Ralph's was like the coolest thing. And my wife is from Southern California. And when I told her about this one, she was like, that is, that is really some Oregon stuff to think that Ralph's is like, <laughs> but you know, Hey, we were 16. Well, you know, Safeway is so much better than Vons, if I can just kind of jump in here, because they're the same company. Safeway is so much better than Vons, just a better aesthetic in their stores. Um, the time I spent in the Pacific Northwest, I loved Safeway. Um, yeah, so did you have Rayleigh's in Oregon, or is Rayleigh's just a California, like a NorCal thing? So no Rayleigh's. Okay, so Rayleigh's is kind of like the Ralph's of NorCal, okay. but I don't I don't think it's Kroger. Um, anyway, enough, enough supermarket talk. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, I can keep going, so, but I'm not going to. We've covered, we've covered grocery stores. We've covered sleep. Um, is there a weather question coming up soon? Because I feel like that's next. Actually, yeah. So our next listener, no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> so our next question is the one I'm going to force you to answer, Andrew. And Matt Chong, friend of the show, wants to know what your skincare routine is. Uh, I need, we need to know. Talk about a not take. Um, <laughs> I just don't. I, this is not something I spend much time on. Um, I what? I I just you know use some. <laughs> I just use some soap every now and then. And, wow. <laughs> uh, try to be regular with that. Keep up with it. Uh, try to use some moisturizer as, as I'm getting older. I'm in my 30s now, and so I have to be cognizant of that. But I think that honestly, I spent so much time growing up. I'm going to blame it on this, or not blame it, but credit it to this that maybe because I spent so much time in like a place where it was not very sunny in Southern Oregon on the coast where it was mostly overcast, 
maybe that saved me from from years of harmful rays that Southern Californians otherwise might have endured by my age. I don't know. But that's that's my theory. This is this is breaking news. So you do nothing other than maybe wash your face sometimes and like put some moisture. Yeah, just like on. general, you know, like general upkeep that we should probably all do. But there's there's nothing there's nothing special. What what moisturizer are you using? Um, I don't even know the name of it. I, I don't even know oh the name. My, my my wife recommended it. I don't have. I can't. No free ads. First of all, I'm not trying to do that to your podcast. <laughs> Um, but I don't, I just don't have a, like this, this super detailed thing that I, that I have to have product X by any means. No. Okay. Well, gentlemen out there, moisturizer is your friend, by the way, you should be moisturizing. Uh, take care of your skin fellas. Um, I just real quick before we move on to the next section, I just kind of wanted to put my take on the, um, Greif Griffin question. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I have, (laughs) I have nothing to say about the question. Okay, so to wrap it up, we're going to bring it home. Um, yes. And what we're going to go into now is the greatest segment ever created, okay? It's a little thing we like to call track of the week, okay? Um, Andrew, if you don't know, um, I assume you listen to the show, but just for anybody who might not be listening, you know, might be turning, <laughs> tuning in for the first time, uh, it's a track that you know has gotten you through the last week, last month, last whatever. It's just something you're super vibing to right now. So. If you got one, I'll let you go first. If not, I'll flip it to uh, to. Yeah, I, I want to hear. I have something, but I, I kind of want to add a little suspense to it. So you go. Okay, perfect. Uh, I I will say this: that there is suspense just on this conversation with the three of us because Joseph and I had a conversation earlier, taking bets on what kind of music you listen to. Um, so I am I'm very excited to see what your track of the week is. No pressure. Um, so my track of the week. Um, it's it's still somewhat in line of last week. I've been kind of rebuilding uh, my music library a bit and um, it, at least digitally. And I've been going back and listening to albums that I haven't listened to in a while. And one that I recently went back to is this band called Reviver uh, from the Pacific Northwest. I think they're from Olympia. Um, and it's like an early 2000s. I want to say like 03, 04, uh, kind of like pop punk band, but. Um, they covered topics, everything from uh, struggling with mental health to uh, housing the unhoused population, um, all, all kind. They, they kind of hit the gamut on it. And the song Breathe Out uh, is a bit about feeling like, like dealing with the mental health of, of feeling like you, you know, I think we all struggle with this, that we live in this kind of uh, brutal world full of power structures that work against us. And it can be overwhelming at times. And um, it kind of goes back to the the mental health th- stuff that I was talking about before. And um, the, the song just kind of touches on that overwhelming feeling, um, but also, you know, has some positivity in there and that you have to break free of those thoughts every now and then if you're going to be able to move forward and and try to change things and uh, whether it be changing stuff for yourself uh, in the micro sense or, or changing things on the macro level um, is that you kind of have to allow yourself some room to breathe uh, so that you can be your best self and put your best foot forward. Um, and so, yeah, that song, it, it took me back and, and it's it's definitely been hitting pretty hard right now. So that's that's my track of the week. Joseph. Um, so my my track of the week is um, a simple one. I might have even done it before. Um, it's this song called Perfect by Cousin Stiz. It's him and the City Girls. Um, just a pretty straightforward rap song um, that I have enjoyed. It's been stuck in my head for the last week, and I just keep listening to it. Um, and it's pretty great. And if you don't like Cousin Stiz, I don't want to be your friend. So that's it. Andrew, are you ready? <laughs> oh, just to Just to bring people into my process, 
when the Clippers are away, I'm working from home. I'm not traveling right now. I only know a couple of beat writers who are. So uh, there's a lot of distraction in my house. Good distraction because my family's around. And I love, honestly, not being away from my family for like 10 days at a time. But it also means that during most of the day, especially during games, because they happen around dinner dinnertime, uh, the Bluey soundtrack from the children's animated show Bluey on Disney Plus is playing in my household. And my wife and I kind of looked at each other in this last week when it went into heavy rotation. And we were like, this kind of slaps. <laughs> and we were like, I think this is obviously a sign of who we are, which is parents of very young children. Um, right. But I mean, I sort of, I sort of defy anyone to go listen to pool on the bluey soundtrack and not find some happiness in that. Um, or even wagon ride. I'll just, I'll, I'll just be honest. I mean, they're all just, they're all great, but that's, what's been on the most. Um, I, I'm curious here to what you guys think I listened to because I recently watched the life aquatic again. Um, there's been a lot of David Bowie playing on my playlist. Mm-hmm. Not something I would honestly rock to like, you know, it's not every day of my playlist, but, um, mm-hmm. Queen bitch, um, star man, all that stuff. Like it's, for some reason that has been in heavy rotation. Um, so I, I have been listening to that more often than usual, but for whatever reason, it's got me through the last week. And I, it's like one of those songs you, I love because I haven't been burned out yet and I love it. So I guess I would say if I had to choose one of those tracks, I'd probably say queen bitch. Okay. Okay. I, so you said you were curious about what we thought you listened to. I kind of, I I can't really explain it, but I always, Wes Anderson makes the perfect sense, by the way. Like, I'm so glad that you said that because it's Mm -hmm. kind of in line with what I thought. Like, I always got a vibe that you were kind of like an indie dude. Like, I thought maybe uh, um, Elliot Smith, um, maybe, I I don't know, like some other kind of, I don't know. And like the, yeah, I just always, I I just had a feeling it was going to be like sensitive, like indie music. Uh, Arcade Fire, definitely one of my favorites. Um, Band of Horses. Mm -hmm. Guilty as charged, yep. like war on drugs. Okay. Yes. So, okay. Uh, if, if you asked me, if you had me on like two weeks ago, I'd have said like the whole war on drugs new album would have been the, the live album would have been getting me through the week, ocean between the waves, etc. So, uh, so yeah, you you pretty much had me in line. I didn't have it honestly because I grew up in a very rural area. I never went to concerts. My first concert, right. in fact, uh, it was a it was a hip hop concert in my hometown's community center. Uh, again. 15,000 people, uh, 20,000 people total between these two towns on the Oregon coast. It's four hours from Portland by car. So you're mm-hmm. not drawing large acts. And yeah. there were seven people in the audience. And my friends and I made up six of them. And we got made fun of by the artist. He was half an hour late. And he was like, he was, I think he was, he was, I don't know. We were like, you don't have any room to make fun of him. We are, we are your only paying audience. We left halfway through his set. But um <laughs> It was so that was my introduction to live was, music. It's gotten better since was then. It MFA? But uh, no, it, it was I don't know the name of the artist, but I remember the name of the festival that he was performing okay. as part of, and it was called Crunk Fest, North Bend, Oregon, two thousand four <laughs> Crunk Fest. 
I'm looking it up. This is fantastic. Uh, yeah, I thought it was either going to be something like that or it was going to be like Cannibal Corpse. Like, yeah. Just something I, I, way left field. I pegged you as like Nile, Necrophagist, uh, Cannibal Corpse, all those guys. I thought you were really <laughs> big into that. Which is funny because the second concert I went to, I was taken, uh, not really against my will, I mean, against my will, to uh, an All-American Rejects concert uh, because we heard there was who someone else was playing. We want to see them who was but someone else was playing and they actually got left off the bill it was in portland during my during my freshman year of college and because they got taken off the bill whoever it was i'm forgetting who it was now maybe um the we were not you know vibing to but we went and the all-american rejects came out and like we we're in the very back of the rosalind theater and they literally the lead singer told them to put a spotlight on like my group of like six or seven friends different friends this time and they literally were like Look at these guys. They're not having fun. Like these guys suck. So those were my first two concert experiences. Literally. <laughs> oh my god, dude. I haven't been to any more. So, how is that possible? Like, I would have never gone to another live event. I would have just been like, you know what? I'm over it. I can't do it. Like I'm 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 a journalist. I'm interested in truth. Like I'm not fibbing. Like it was it was like, what is happening? Why is this keep happening? And so yeah, we we bounced midway through that one too but we were just like like look showed up look at this nerd with his perfect skin look at them (laughs) (laughs) he's like yeah anyways fast forward a few years we're at coachella and tupac's hologram goes look at this motherfucker (laughs) (laughs) that's what i'm worried about (laughs) (laughs) um well on that note because that's that's fucking fantastic um andrew Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, we are looking forward to getting you on um, many more times. Uh, you will be inducted into the Double Dip Club at some point, uh, and I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I feel like you might be kind of screaming into an echo chamber here because everyone reads Grife, but um, plug away. Where can anybody who is um, living under a rock and probably should be pointed out at a concert somewhere, uh, where can they find your writing if they're not already following? Well, um, I... I don't know who reads, so I'm, I am glad to hear that. Um, thank you, Gen- very genuinely. Thank you for reading. Um, I mean, latimes.com, and just go to the sports section, click on the Clippers tab, it's right there. Um, links to it, pretty much everything on Twitter, at Andrew Greif. And, and thank you guys for supporting print. Those of you who, who, who read and subscribe, um, we're very appreciative of it. But yeah, thank you guys for having me on. Um, and I'm excited to, to do it again. I really am. Cause I, I have way more like you know, grocery store things I can talk about anecdotes. Um, I have a lot of useful <laughs> info that I am willing to share. We awesome, can't wait. Awesome. Well, we it, can't we'll wait. definitely, yeah, we're definitely making that happen. Uh, thank you everybody for joining us this week. Uh, wherever you are listening to us, uh, remember to hit subscribe so you can stay up to date with all of our newest episodes. If you are listening to us on the Apple podcast app, remember to please leave us a five-star rating and a written review and always wash, rinse, sanitize, repeat. And if you don't, Donald Sterling wins. And that's a fact. Yeah.